This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm Kerry Phillips, and in this episode of Rear Vision, we'll hear about the battle for the future in the biggest country in Latin America, Brazil. Brazilians will head to the polls today to vote in one of the world's most closely watched elections this year. The incumbent, President Jair Bolsonaro, is being challenged by former leftist president Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, who is slightly ahead in the polls. President Bolsonaro has said repeatedly he may not accept an election loss, claiming the Brazilian army is on his side. The presidential election at the beginning of the month in Brazil failed to produce a winner. You need more than 50% of the votes to win outright, and no candidate managed to get over the threshold. A runoff between the two who won the most votes, the far-right president, Jair Bolsonaro, and the leader of the left, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, known as Lula, is being held today. In this rear vision, we'll look at the two contenders and see what might lie ahead for Brazil. Lula had been tipped to win outright in the first round, and he almost made it, with 48.43%. But Bolsonaro did better than expected, with just over 43% of the vote. Yeah, there was indeed a lot of expectation that he would win, and of course turned out that he was very close but could not make it. So we, Brazil had to, is holding it a second round now, just between Lula and Bolsonaro. Hello, I'm Rafael Ioris. I am a professor of history and politics of Latin America at the University of Denver. Lula is still a little bit ahead, but uh, Bolsonaro is actually getting closer. So I think that shows that there was a little bit of a vote you know, for Bolsonaro that was not captured by the polling agencies. There are different reasons for that. Brazil has not had a census recently, which would have helped them to map out the electorate of the country. One of the reasons they did not hold the census is because Bolsonaro didn't provide the funds for the census in 2020. He's already the president. And of course, uh, polling agencies have had a hard time capturing a little bit of a shy, extreme right voter uh, in different countries, like in the case of the Brexit, in the case of Trump, and in the case of Bolsonaro, this time around in Brazil, people have not felt that uh, they could answer, yes, I'm supporting Bolsonaro, so they may tend to say, I don't know, I'm undecided. Uh, and then finally, some people in the last minute switch from another uh, center-right candidates. So it's becoming a little more tense in Brazil, quite honestly, in terms of you know what's going to happen on the 30th. There's been some episodes of violence and some episodes of increased, really uh, very aggressive rhetoric on both sides, both campaigns. Yeah, well, this year, elections were very peculiar, in particular for Brazil. Hello, my name is Vinicius Mariano de Carvalho. I'm Vice Dean International in the Faculty of Social Science and Public Policy at King's College London and reader for Brazilian and Latin American studies. Probably in Brazilian, at least recent democratic history, we didn't have such polarized election like these two candidates that represent almost the opposite of each other. We normally had disputes, but not with such a contentious distinction. It reflects not only a contentious between candidates, but between the society as well. So this election is a very precise picture of what is the Brazilian society today. A society that has a great part of the population supporting changing agendas, supporting a more inclusive agenda, especially regarding minorities, an agenda that will be more prone to understand a history of slavery, a history of prejudices, an agenda 
that represents also the discussions about climate change, about feminism. But we have also a big part of the society that look at this agenda, something that is actually disrupting the construction of Brazil. They are encompassed by the two candidates, basically. So it shows very much how the society is divided. A repressive military regime ruled the country from the mid-1960s to the mid-1980s when democracy was restored. Brazil entered the 21st century under the spell of a union leader known as Lula. Election Eve in Sao Paulo, and in the city's working-class southern suburbs, they're already celebrating outside the bar recognised as Lula's local. Now it's Lula they chant. There's no doubt, says this former metal worker, Lula will be our president and he'll be the best president. He was elected president in 2002 and put social programs at the top of his agenda, as historian Joel Wolf told me in an earlier rear vision. Well, he's a fascinating guy. So he grew up in Brazil's very poor northeast and as a child migrated with his family on the back of a flatbed truck down to Sao Paulo and, and dreamed of working in the foreign-owned auto factories, which were the best jobs. And he ended up getting employment there, and he was a quality control inspector on the shop floor and quickly became a union activist and was part of a group of people who ended up taking power from the government-sponsored unions. This is during the dictatorship. And beginning in the early to mid-1970s was at the forefront of a growing union movement. So when he got into politics, he was very much a social democrat who believed very strongly that Brazil needed a robust capitalist system that would be available to give good wages and good benefits, often through the state, to everyone. And so his signature program is something called the Family Grant. And the Family Grant's a brilliant program, and it's, it's one of the most popular things in Brazil. And what it does is it gives several minimum wages, so minimum wage is very low and almost no one earns it, so you calculate wages by how many minimum wages, to a family whose children have an up-to-date vaccination record and a very good attendance record at school, something in the you know, 90, 95% attendance. And those people get a debit card with this money and they can buy groceries, they can buy really whatever they want with it. So what they did was they took street children off the street and put them in schools. They increased public health by getting them vaccinated, getting them to clinics. They put a lot of money into the hands of people with a high propensity to spend it, right? The poor aren't going to invest this money. They're going to spend it on things, often locally manufactured things. And they created a literate citizenry and workforce going forward. I think we, we do have to acknowledge that he, he was actually very clever and effective as, as a political figure, of course, but, but bringing people together with him in his administration to come up with new domestic, economic and social, especially policies, very innovative, that created and expanded the domestic market in the sense, you know, why he successfully, his economy was, you know, a good timing for, for the Brazilian economy, not in the first few years, but especially in the second term. So, yes, the international environment was favorable, but his administration actually came up with very creative policies in economic sense, but also in social, cultural issues. So, you know, when he left office, it was a close to 80 percent support. We need to remember, especially now, that, you know, majority of Brazilians are conservative. It's a, it's a conservative society that has played out in many times in the 80s, still Cold War and all that time that he was a communist, he would be too radical for the country. And he had a very hard time making the case that people should actually vote for him. Always would get like 30% of the votes. And only in 2002, he managed, you know, to on a second round to, to win against the sort of center-right candidate at that time. 
And now some of that challenge is coming back. Bolsonaro has managed to revive some of that uh, radical left threat that Lula presents, which is, I mean, from a scholar like me, it's hard to believe people are still buying it because, you know, Lula has a proven record that he wasn't radical at all. I mean, in a, in a negative way, but it's still working, especially again, not only, but especially again, among evangelical voters, they have culturally become more conservative or assertively more politically assertive along conservative lines. The leader of the PT or Workers' Party, Lula was in office from 2003 to 2010, when he was succeeded by his protégé, Dilma Rousseff. Lula had left office with an approval rating of around 80%, but his popularity would suffer enormously when he was found guilty of corruption as part of a massive police investigation known as Operation Car Wash. Brazil's most popular democratically elected president has been sentenced to nearly a decade in prison after a judge found him guilty of corruption and money laundering. Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva led Brazil for eight years and is credited with lifting millions out of poverty. In Rio de Janeiro today, the former president's supporters claimed the conviction was all about politics. I don't believe in the type of justice that the judge Sergio Moro is practicing. He chooses people. He follows certain political parties. He's not looking at the evidence. Corruption happened during Lula's government. We should never forget the men's alone case was the first scandal of corruption when it was revealed and proved that the government of Lula was paying MPs to vote in his favor and the favors of his projects in the parliament. So it was there. What I want to mean with that is, yes, there were corruption in that government. The trial of Lula in the car wash operation, it was a trial that, as you have mentioned, had some misconduct in the procedures. That's why it was considered not valid. So that's the point here. It's a very nuanced aspect. Ultimately, Brazil's Supreme Court ruled that the judge in his case had been biased, but Lula spent more than a year and a half in jail. The money laundering and corruption revealed by Operation Car Wash showed widespread abuse within Brazil's political and business elite. Lula was in jail during the 2018 elections, and the damage done to him and the Workers' Party by the investigation left the field wide open for the anti-corruption campaign run by Jair Bolsonaro. Richard Lapper is the author of Beef, Bible and Bullets, Brazil in the Age of Bolsonaro. The campaign itself was full of surprises because, you know, Brazil's traditional centrist and right-wing parties did extremely badly. I mean, the background to that, which is important, is that the country had been really ravaged by a huge corruption scandal dating back to 2014. This is the car wash scandal, which, you know, many, many politicians of both centre-left, centre-right, the people who've been running Brazil for the previous 20 years, became discredited as a result of that. There were huge demonstrations against the government. The president, Dilma Rousseff, was impeached in 2016. There was a kind of process of revulsion against the political class. And Bolsonaro, everything went right for him, really, in 2018. So he emerges in the election towards the end of the year. He wins well over 50% of the votes and is elected in certain, among certain constituencies who are sympathetic to him. I mean, we're thinking here, this is where we get to the beef 
Bible and Bullets constituencies, these hardline grassroots guys who are are sympathetic to fewer environmental controls in the in the Amazon, so they're freer to farm and mine and and trade in land. The Bible constituency, which is is very much heavily dominated by the evangelical church in in Brazil, which is a very rapidly growing and hugely socially conservative. And finally, the Bullets Lobby, which is really arguing for a very hard line against organized crime and really wants the police to be freer to use their guns and basically shoot people who they suspect of being involved in crime and extortion and and drugs traffic. And these three lobbies organized in Congress, but they also represent these broader social groups, you know, voted very heavily for Bolsonaro. But he also got a lot of votes from people who just were fed up with the PT governments that had had run the PT, the Workers' Party, centre-left Workers' Party governments that had really run Brazil from between 2003 and 2016. There was a there was a big anti-left vote, which Bolsonaro became the most viable. He articulated that vote. You know, I mean, people thought he was the one most likely to get rid of the left. So 2018, Bolsonaro comes to office, you know, at the head of a, a very broad alliance of far-right, these far-right beef, Bible and bullet guys. And on the other hand, you know, more traditional liberal conservatives, the business class voted very heavily for Bolsonaro in 2018 because they were really fed up of the way the PT had managed the economy under under Dilma Rousseff in particular. A far-right politician known as the Trump of the tropics will be the next president of Brazil. The election of Jair Bolsonaro is a dramatic swing away from socialism for the world's fourth largest democracy. And the former military man is promising to change the country's destiny. In a country desperate for change, Jair Bolsonaro's decisive victory was reason for many to celebrate. The other politicians are big liars, criminals hiding behind their rehearsed speeches. Bolsonaro is much more original. Bolsonaro had spent 15 years in the army before his agitation for higher pay for those serving in the military got him into trouble. After being forced out, he'd immediately gone into politics, running successfully for the Rio City Council in 1988 and two years later, the National Parliament, Brazil's Congress. From that moment on, he started to be elected MP and always with a quite clear agenda, a confrontational one, a quite racist one against any sort of agenda that would be more inclusive. He also was very misogynist in his comments in the Congress. He has been constantly defending what the military did during the dictatorship, saying that People were exaggerating that there was no torture and etc. And he was quite important politician to counterpoint the more left-wing deputies in the parliament and played the important role in the impeachment of Dilma Rousseff. So with that, he capitalized a lot and also became the sort of epitome of the right wing in Brazil incorporating several agendas of conservadorism against agendas like abortion and agglutinate around him many of these right wings that were there in Brazilian society. Together with that, he also put his name as candidate to president. 
in the moment that we were passing through the Lava Jato, the car wash investigation that brought Lula to prison. So he, he came like, I defend the traditions of family, Christian country, and, and corruption. That is exactly what he represented, anti-Lula, anti-PT government. Just over a year into Bolsonaro's presidency, the COVID pandemic hit, and his mismanagement of the crisis led to massive street demonstrations. Brazilians across 44 cities have taken to the streets in their tens of thousands. President Bolsonaro has been slammed for his handling of the pandemic and downplaying its dangers, leading to Brazil having the second highest death toll in the world. We've reached the sad and painful mark of half a million victims of COVID, victims of abandonment, victims of COVID and Bolsonaro. This was outrageous. Arthur Ituasu is an associate professor at the Pontifical Catholic University of Rio de Janeiro. You had a lot of things. You had a lack of empathy with the people. You had a president always questioning science, the vaccines, always questioning the use of masks, always questioning people who are staying at home. This was very outrageous. We had a president that was completely out of science and out of common sense during this COVID crisis. And we had more than 500,000 people dead, mostly because of that. Rafael Ioras says Bolsonaro has used his time in office to undermine the independent democratic foundations of Brazil, especially by attacking the Supreme Court. He undermined investigative agencies of the different branches of the federal government, but also went after and undermined and underfunded you know, investigations, such as car wash operation. He, he closed it down. He removed power from the federal police and the Ministry of Justice to actually continue with investigations. He put his own people in places, in the specific places of federal agencies that uh, conduct investigations, as well in other agencies, such as the Protection for the Environment, so in many ways, he has undermined right, the tools of the government to actually promote, on the one hand, investigation, but also provide services to society. His rhetoric against the judicial powers, he has called for closing the Supreme Court, calling judges of the Supreme Court against him, which is not the case for sure. So he, he more, more than being able to, of course, undermine agencies of other branches of power, he has given support for a narrative that uh, Brazilian government should be run by kind of... A, monarchical rule, you know, given to him in an authoritarian fashion. No one is clear how that could be actually done, but if he is re-elected, he would certainly go after, you know, in a much more assertive way to do that, to to silence maybe opposition voices, to kind of wall off, you know, the, the Supreme Court justices. He has said that he wants to maybe enlarge Supreme Court by naming his own judges to the court. So opposition voices there would not be able to, you know, to, to have a say in, in the investigations against him and, and his support, you know, his, his group in power. 60% of the world's largest tropical rainforest, the Amazon, lies within Brazil's borders. During Lula's two terms as president, deforestation decreased by more than 80%. Under Bolsonaro, it's exploded. Scientists and conservationists are fearful of the global impact of massive fires raising parts of the Amazonian rainforest. 
the blazes can be seen from space and plunged the Brazilian city of Sao Paulo into darkness earlier this week as smoke filled the air. Many are blaming Brazil's president, who in a few short months has presided over a big increase in forest clearing and who is hostile to conservationists, even suggesting some of them are behind the fires. The Bolsonaro presidency has been an absolute disaster for the Amazon rainforest. Hello, my name's David Salisbury. I'm Associate Professor of Geography, Environment and Sustainability at the University of Richmond. Deforestation has surged to its highest level for 10 years previously. Bolsonaro has actively worked to weaken environmental legislation, to weaken indigenous legislation, to throw questions at science, particularly the science of ecology. He's weakened the institutions that are supposed to protect the Amazon, that are supposed to protect the indigenous people. He's promoted measures that weaken and lessen the protections of national parks and protected areas, which hold almost a quarter of the Amazon rainforest in them. Lula paid close attention to the environment, recognized it as an important factor, and had policies in place that address the environment. Not everything went perfectly during the Lula administration, but the environment was certainly something that was talked about and where attention was put. And now Lula's platform is zero deforestation. Looking forward at the next four years, which is a tremendous contrast to what we've seen in the last four. What happens to the Amazon affects us all. In that way, this presidential election in Brazil has implications beyond that country's borders. Yes. So the Amazon rainforest is of crucial importance because of its warehousing of biodiversity, because of the amount of carbon that it's able to store. And right now, the Amazon rainforest is on a trajectory where within just a couple decades, because of climate change and advancing deforestation, the entire biome could shift from a tropical rainforest to a tropical savanna, which is essentially a grassland with sparse patches of weak forest here and there. This would mean that the vast majority of the carbon storage would be lost, and all that carbon would thus have gone into the atmosphere to accelerate global warming processes, which would therefore just accelerate the climate crisis, not just in the Amazon, but throughout the world. President Bolsonaro has suggested that if he loses this runoff with Lula, he'll claim the election was rigged rather than concede defeat. Could this lead to an uprising like the storming of the US Capitol after Trump lost in 2020, or even a military coup, given Bolsonaro's support within the armed forces in Brazil? Given the level of violence, it's easy to say that there will be violence after the elections. There might be something similar to uh, January 6th in the capital. My name is Philippe Tirado. I'm a PhD candidate and visiting lecturer at King's College London. And I have worked with democracy, authoritarianism and corruption for the past eight years. I really hope it doesn't happen because it would be very dangerous. Bolsonaro supporters, they have a lot of guns. Bolsonaro is highly supported by the police, is supported by the military. 
I've said it before, and I've discussed that with colleagues from Brazil and abroad. There was not a lot of support for a military coup or something of the level, but it is possible that the acts of violence run out of hand. So it is a high possibility, and I would agree with you. And beyond that, both scenarios that we have, they're not very positive. They're not very optimistic because if Bolsonaro wins, he's got the whole Congress with him. He elected a lot of Bolsonaristas, his supporters. So if Bolsonaro wins, things are going to be very bleak. But if Lula wins, on the other hand, it's going to be hard for him to talk with these people. It's going to be hard for him to gather support from individuals from the right. But also, it's going to be very hard for us to, as a country, of course, to go back to the growth that he had beforehand, for Brazil to gain the, the respect of all the countries that Brazil had in the early 2000s. I think that the, the, the perspective is a bit pessimistic. How should we think about this election? I would say that independent of who will win this election, they will be in troubles to manage and to govern Brazil in the next four years. Economically, stability is a reality. The country is not doing well. The global context is not favorable either. So the, the positioning that Brazil will have in the global arena will be quite important now, and none of them really made clear what they will be doing in this near future. There is another issue that is the increasing of social violence in the country that both presidents will need to deal with and none of them really present a clear policy. There is the question of the environmental aspect of Brazil as well, this critical situation that the Amazonian region is facing and what sort of policies will be implemented. And finally, it's to re-establish a sense of social order or peaceful society. The polarization that Brazil came in the recent years brought a sort of social violence that we haven't seen before. So this electoral campaign is showing cases of violence and even murders of supporters of one or other candidate. So this is not a good picture to, to start a government. And this challenge will be there. And I would put the first one, the economic one, the second one is international relations approach, and the third one, the environmental one. It might seem like a, perhaps a little bit of an exaggeration, but I do strongly believe that this is really a historic election for Brazil. Uh, I think there's a whole lot at stake here. On the one hand, we do have a administrator, a president, who a person who has been president and has proven that, you know, with a good record, even if you don't support him, you know, he was a successful president and someone who strongly believes in the democratic process, who has abided by the results of an election, who has run successive elections and who has respected the democratic institutions. On the other hand, we do have someone who is in the presidential office now, who has overtly made his career by attacking the democratic institutions, by defending the dictatorship that Brazil experienced in the 60s, 70s, into the 80s. Someone who's in office has went after right, the Supreme Court and Congress and who has called for you know, shutting down the Supreme Court, has said, help me out you know, to create the system in Brazil that we actually believe you and my, you know, my supporters, which is basically an authoritarian regime and who has now overtly said that he may not accept the results. So I think the, 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 you know, the options could not be more clear in the sense that it's a one, you know, one democratic option and an option which could uh, very much pave the way for 
making Brazil into a more clear authoritarian regime if under the veil of democratic institutions. On the other hand, if Lula wins, you know, we could serve as a as a strength for democracy in the region. It could have worked with uh, perhaps like the Biden administration, you know, along the lines of strengthening democracy. You know, Biden has called this democratic forum a few months ago. So I'm sort of making clear where I stand on the election, but I hope Brazilians at least see that that's the case and they choose democracy. Rafael Ioras. Thanks to him and my other guests, Philippe Tirado, Vinicius de Carvalho, Arthur Itawasu, David Salisbury, Richard Lapper and Joel Wolfe. You'll find their details on the Rear Vision website. This Rear Vision was produced by me, Kerry Phillips, and sound engineer Anne-Marie de Betancourt for ABC RN. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.